He gets picked up better <laughs> on the mics than we do sometimes. Right? Is it because he has a deep voice? Like, fuck that shit. Microphones are sexist. And welcome back to Girls Talk Comics. Today it's your girl, Lieutenant of Literature, hollering at you from the great wide interwebs. With me is our Master of Mediocrity. What's up, y'all? <laughs> Not quite hollering because I got a little bit of a cold. Sorry. What's your name? Oh, shoot. Uh, Aaron? Yes. Yes, my name is Aaron, <laughs> the Master of Mediocrity. So, uh, what are we what are we reading today, Miss Erin? All right. So today we are talking about "Something Is Killing the Children," Volume One, published by Boom Studios with creative team James Tinian the Fourth and Werther Del Adera. It's set in Archer's Peak, and it's got kind of cool premise. So there's this kid Jimmy. Jimmy is trying to have the best sleepover, but it kind of turns out to be the worst sleepover ever. I mean, everything starts off fine. He and his friends are telling horror stories and playing truth or dare. Even his crush Carl was over. But things escalate and quickly transform this night into one Jimmy wishes he could forget. One dare too many and he and his friends are out in the woods at night in a ravine and, well, shit gets real fucking gory. And, spoiler alert, Jimmy is the only one who comes out of it alive. Of course, this comes with all kinds of rumors that he killed his friends, probably some satanic beliefs, and well, as horrible as that would be, I think Jimmy would rather have been a serial killer than have seen what he saw. Because, like, monsters are real here. So then there's Erica, young woman, monster hunter, maybe even a monster herself, I don't really know. She has this possessed doll as her, like, only friend. She's terrifying, strange, and really effective. She's our heroine. She's been sent to Archer's Peak by some off-screen handler. Quickly finds herself in a bit over her head. It doesn't help that she also has this incredibly persistent child and a vengeful young man trying to follow her, too. There's a lot going on in Archer's Peak, and I was relieved when Erica showed up because that meant I started getting an idea of what was going on. What were your thoughts on it? I also was happy when Erica showed up. I think the way they introduced that character was probably one of the best things because she shows up gory as fuck covered in just blood walking up to this little girl who seems to be like missing some limbs probably from this terrible thing Mm -hmm. that happened to her and you see her sit down and you're not sure if she's just gonna off the kid or if she's with the kid or what's gonna happen like there's this like two or three panels of suspense where she's just there this gory blood-covered young woman who looks bad as shit and is also like one of the poster kids for why masks are awesome and everyone should be wearing them. And we see a little bit of her handler kind of interacting with her. And so we know about at that time that this woman knows what's going on and that she's sort of, it's like the Stranger Things version of what a Slayer would be. Definitely. And she has the best last name ever. <laughs> Very on the nose last name. I mean, Erica Slaughter, not much more you like not much better you can do than that i mean that's straight up it's like if buffy's last name was hunter like yeah no kidding <laughs> let's be real <laughs> i really liked how they did all of it uh it has one of probably the best page turn title cards in the entire industry fight me it uses two pages two full pages in the middle of this to just 
every single issue has it, where it's just this black and sort of reddish title screen. And it just says something is killing the children in this really intimidating font, which is the same font it has on each cover. And it is the most jarring page flip every time. Every single time I turned to that title card, I was like, oh, uh, straight into classic slaughterhouse movies. This is just a really fun series. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm actually really glad you mentioned the kind of slaughterhouse films because James Tinian, fourth, the author, he has a lot of history with horror comics. He wrote Mimetic, which is a kind of a horror post-apocalyptic series. He's done a lot of stuff with Batman and DC. Like I think most of his career has been with that. But he actually just started a pay-what-you-want online horror anthology series called Razorblades that you can find at readrazorblades.com. But that's a horror, yeah, again, a horror anthology series, because that just seems to be James, like, thing. So, of course, they're going to have this cinematic, like, something is killing the children, like, style, because that's probably the shit he grew up with and loved. For sure. And it uses art very well and there are like two or three different Mm -hmm. sort of atmospheric panels they use in the background to sort of indicate to you you know which are your breathing scenes where they're doing their detective bit and which ones are their action scenes and where they're doing their snooping and like scooby dance sort of situation not scooby dance um right scooby gang situation then you also have sort of the hardcore like demonic overcast that is sort of reminiscent of satanic panic sort of with like the dolls and the creepy Mm -hmm. like but they're all kind of just kind of strung together so you're not sure what it says about the characters that find themselves in those atmospheres because it doesn't seem to indicate that they're bad but it is definitely like different sections that are veiled off from each other i don't know it's just like a very intriguing sort of art that pulls you through this it's not super hard fast quick but it is it is action-packed in a very paced kind of way kind of um so real bit about werther deladera i couldn't find a lot about him but he's done a lot of things with dc and marvel kind of like anybody else he's done some vertigo stuff his most popular title that came up was dark entries that was published back in 2010 he was the artist on that i think he reads manga and that was about all that i can learn about him because he's i don't think he's a u.s local the only other language i speak is russian and not very well so i don't know if he's european or south american because some of the languages all blend together visually for me and so i'd have to do a lot of translation probably to find stuff on him and i'm not that skilled at that and we had to record so i had to stop searching at some point Um, (laughs) no his art I think is really really great he definitely has a good pacing and I really love how he set it up because in the scene like that you were talking about where we get introduced to Erica and she's with that younger girl I think they did one of my favorite things to do in comics and that is to just kind of have a panel pause because I feel like there felt like there was just a pause where Erica's looking at the girl before she just asks if she can use her shower and I I love that kind of narrative where you just give that natural kind of break with it. And I think they kind of had an Applebee's knockoff. Yeah. And Werther did a really great job at capturing that (laughs) that vibe Mm -hmm. in it. He really did well. They did an interesting pacing thing on that conversation you're talking about where 
she's on the phone having a separate conversation. Mm-hmm. And she does that thing that you do when you're on the phone and you're like, hold on, can I? And then like goes back to ignoring. And she does this several times. Every time she's on the, every time she pulls that stupid phone out, she's like ignoring everyone around her, but then also like demanding information from them. And it feels very, it feels very like real phone conversations I've had and people who, you know, there's always those people who have that bad like phone etiquette that do that to you. And you're just like, hold on, wait, what? Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, and Erica, Erica totally has that vibe of just like, I have to do like what I have to do to save people's lives. And Werther gets that body language down really well. James gets the dialogue down really well. And I really, I really enjoyed it as a writing piece. I'm waiting for volume two to come out because the singles are kind of hard to find. I read issue six. Is that involved in the first volume? Yeah. So it seems like volume one, th- uh, issue one through six is in volume one. Okay, like, cool. Yeah, because you get introduced to Bianca a little bit more when she's like drawing and stuff. And that's a, that was a very, I mean, like just to skip to that scene a little bit. That was a very authentic thing there's this little girl that is alive in this monster den and so they when they do the first first sort of like baddie battle interaction that they take this live girl out who's been through this extreme trauma <laughs> like extreme trauma mm-hmm. and she refuses to give them her last name and so she's just chilling out in the police precinct which is a fairly safe place for a little girl to be if you've gone through that kind of a trauma and they and she's just drawing and that is like Step number one with most children after they've gone through some intense thing is like they just sit there doodling and drawing these terrible things that is just like coping mechanism, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like it's an easy task to also give children. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a visual language that they understand whenever words are failing them, and words for trauma are hard mm-hmm. to come by even as adults. So like this is good. Um, it feels like very much like child psychology one on one a little bit, but also it gives us this huge like insight into Bianca's character because she she's so good with childhood trauma. She's so good with these children. She goes out of her way to interact with these children that survive these instances. And yeah, you can see a little bit is her getting information and figuring out what class of monster it is that she's fighting. But on the other side, you can see her really handling them with emotional maturity. Like, no, this isn't, this isn't your fault. Like, don't take any of this like, I'm just frustrated. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do my job, but that doesn't mean anything. Like, I shouldn't be putting this off on you. You know, talking to children like they're adults, you know, with, like, adult feelings and interacting right. with them on their level. And she just, through this whole series, she's my favorite, by the way. Let me just skip to that. She's my favorite. Because through this whole series, Bianca she's or just Erica, got this. Because you said Bianca. Erica. Erica Slaughterhouse is my okay, favorite. Okay, thank you. Because she has this air of authority that is just projected just is just ingrained in her character and yeah she's a young woman you know obviously drinking age but like still a young woman and like it's never brought attention to other than the fact that it's like crazy things are happening how do you know what is going on that has been put under the microscope with the sheriff and everything but none of them are like what are you doing little girl you know like none of them are like calling her authority into (laughs) account for her feminineness it's all just because it's crazy and nobody should have any authority on crazy you know which i thought was really nice 
Like, right. It was something I immediately noticed, and yeah. it was very, very nice. So, yeah, Erica is a really great character, and she has a lot of depth, and I'm really interested in seeing how the rest of the story goes. I actually, <laughs> my favorite character, though, is a side character who doesn't even get a name. It's the waitress at the knockoff <laughs> Applebee's who, like, figures out that Erica and the little boy Jimmy are talking about some weird stuff. And so she's important as a plot device because there's another character in the book called Tommy. And Tommy is an older brother of one of the kids who's gone missing. And so his co-worker comes over and is like, hey, that woman's talking about your some of the stuff that is related to your sister and or like some other weird kids. I wonder if she knows anything about your sister. And then Tommy, you know, confronts her and is becomes that vengeful a young man who's trying to follow her and get involved. He, spoiler, he shouldn't have done that. He should have just, but you know, sometimes in every typical horror movie, you have to have somebody who's just like, I'm going to get in over my head because I'm angry or, you know, overly confident. And I can't deny him any of his feelings, wanting to find his sister, her being a new person in town who could be an easy target for or easily blamed or could have been involved. I mean, he doesn't know. Uh, he mm-hmm. certainly found out what was going on, but at the time he didn't know. So I just appreciate that waitress who's just kind of like gossiping. <laughs> it's like, yeah. hey, I put this clue together and just mentions it to people. And, you know, it sends the rest of the story on its um, spiraling off. But what I like about her, too, one of the things that gets me in movies, and I, I'm seeing it happen more often in movies and in TV shows, is that there are, there's something bizarre that happens that nobody seems to react to. Like, you'll have a character just kind of show up in the middle of nowhere due to to some sci-fi stuff, and people are just kind of, like, shocked, but then just go back and reading the newspaper. Whereas she's somebody who's like, hey, there's some weird stuff happening. I'm actually going to comment on it. Like, I really appreciate writers and filmmakers and other creators who are allowing peripheral characters who have no impact agency in the fact that they're actually reacting to the world around them being it just some mm-hmm. random story or thing that just they're just like i'm just a body i'm just going to be a casualty of war you know <laughs> they're they're like oh i can actually have an emotional response to this this is actually weird for my community that was what she was for me is mm-hmm. actually showing that a lot of people are interested in what's happening to the children it's very topical and they are talking about it so that's yeah. why she is my favorite it's a weird reason. I was actively upset she didn't get a name because whenever you asked me what her name was and I went back and looked for it, I was like, she's here like three different times moving the plot forward fairly substantially and why aren't they giving her a name? <laughs> because she has a scene where she's feeding into the angry fire at the bar with Tommy. Like, yeah, it's fucking weird. Like feeding into that with some other like third guy mm-hmm. who's drinking and they're telling the story too. And she like goes to Tommy's dad's house with him in the vehicle with him to get a gun, which is a big plot device that moves us all forward. And she doesn't have a name. But I will say that they did such no piece of this comic was wasted. There was no erroneous thing that didn't play out. And they didn't make you wait three volumes to go, oh yeah, that, that one small scene back in the... No, it was like immediately paying off whenever we are introduced to the Tommy character 
we see this extreme mm-hmm. stress that he's under at home with his sister being gone. So it kind of lays the foundation for him to be a sympathetic pain in the ass as opposed to just a pain in the ass vengeful character. He's just not like <laughs> angry white manning it. He's like, I'm under a lot of stress. I am a bereaved person who's missing a part of their immediate family that I have a protector right. rollover as a big brother, you know. So he is very fully fleshed out yeah. in like three pages. Yeah, to your point about the community thing, she does a lot. Back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They always have <laughs> this weird thing at the Hellmouth where like everyone is together for like this candlelight vigil and then everything goes back to normal. And they did a good job of making the community stuck yeah. in that period of candlelight vigil. You see the principal under extreme stress. You see other characters at the school under extreme stress. You see the police officers and all of the secretaries and stuff. You see every single person is not acting normally because they are under this community-wide kids are gone. Like, what's happening? And right. I don't know. It, it's hard to explain whenever you're reading comics that do seem to waste space, quote-unquote, what the difference is between something that's as densely packed as this and something that is more wasteful with what they're what they're showing you art wise and like dialogue wise. Mm-hmm. It's hard to it's hard to tell like what it is that it's missing whenever it's not like this. But this is so compressed and does such a good job. Each issue, even though it's only like what 15, 25 pages, it feels like you've gotten somewhere in the story. You know? Right. Well, the compressed storytelling in this is, like, really evident in conjunction to a Superman episode where you get a couple of pages of just, like, stuff happening that never matters again, ever. I I think it kind of goes to, I like limited series and stuff because I think they try to do more of this. And then once the story gets too bloated, then you're just, like, wasting the resources you have. And I'm like, that means that you need to be guillotined. Start over. Find something. (laughs) The end. I don't. I don't disagree. You know, I was just thinking about the Miles Morales stuff that I read. You know, I don't know if it's just the nature of the stories that they're trying to say with superheroes versus horror stories, because something is killing the children is more of a horror story. It's nothing mm-hmm. like a superhero story. There are no superheroes in this. Is that superheroes stories, since they're targeting more towards children, I feel like there's a lot more narrative they have to do to avoid mature art or like pg-13 art or that environmental storytelling that i think can be pulled off in non-marvel or non-dc non-superhero stories does that make sense yeah because they have to like curb themselves to keep from pushing the kids' radars and also just a little bit more like they have to explain themselves more thoroughly whenever you're dealing with younger audiences. But I will say I think that's a bullshit adult thing and that a lot of good younger media, like the Lumberjanes or like, you know, Adventure Time, better storytelling for children, She-Ra, all of that. Like they they trust the kids a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I I do think you're right, though. They do have to do a little bit more to avoid pushing the envelope. Then that's like, they're just, it's part of being the man, you know? If you're the man, quote unquote, if you're the establishment, you right. have a lot less fun things you can do. That's a fair yeah. point. Fuck the man. <laughs> I think the artist is also doing stuff for that Razorblades project of James's, which is awesome. 
And James has done some other self-published works. So I I think he's got, they both have had, do have opportunities to kind of flex their own creative muscles. His first original comic series was called The Eighth Seal. uh, And that was done through a digital comic publisher called Thrillbent. Um, It's an apocalyptic book. To quote Wikipedia, it says, The series, an apocalyptic blend of political intrigue and body horror, Hmm. was published Hmm. on Thrillbent. And then there was a follow-up called The House on the Wall. That was written by somebody else. Or co-written with somebody else. That political blend with body horror. You know what the first thing that made me think of is? Lady Bird. That's true. Yeah. I also figured out why I keep talking about Buffy. Why is that? Because Boom Studios is also the vehicle for all of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics. <laughs> so all of the uh, issues have Buffy, like, ads at the end of it. Not just because, like, there are some thematic, like, it does look look and feel a little bit like Stranger Things meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But it also, like, I was actually, like, being fed Buffy subconsciously through ads <laughs> in the back of the comic, too. <laughs> That's how they get you. That is how they get you. Would you like this to be adapted someday into, like, a TV series or a movie? I think it's perfectly set up to be adapted into a TV series or movie. I think a TV series would be more fulfilling than a movie would. Mm -hmm. Because it has the pacing that I think works better with a TV series. But I wouldn't want it to be, like, more than maybe two or three seasons. It really depends on how long they can keep the series going. Or keep the comic series going. I think that this first volume was good for like a two or like a one to three episode arc. And if mm-hmm. I don't know how long they plan on writing the series, if it's going to be two or three volumes, but even if it's just like one season, I could be satisfied with that. You know, Supernatural's not on the air anymore. And <laughs> like, let's get something that's good yeah. out. This would yeah. this would kind of fill that supernatural hole a little bit, I think. Definitely. Like, especially with some of the language they were using to describe the monsters. Classes, mm-hmm. and we have little stuffed animal octopus that seems to be sort of, like, possessed by some sort of intel thing that they have. Like a walkie-talkie with yeah. supernatural, or, you know. Um, I could see them going into a more hard world building. Like, I enjoy soft world building a lot, but I could see them going a little bit harder and giving you a bit more like class identifiers and stuff. I just, I wouldn't want them to go too far into it. Like I don't want a Pacific Rim situation no. where they have like, you know, like which kind of Titan is it? Yeah, you know, not I don't at all. That, but yeah. But yeah, I, I think, think there's, there's a definitely an opportunity for this to be adapted. Agreed. And I think it, I think it's perfect for it. I think that this is kind of the stuff that they've been optioning through Netflix a lot. Like I've noticed that a lot of Netflix originals have been sort of, kind of like this a little bit you know like these sort of pseudo horror Mm -hmm. slasher like kind of nostalgic 90s feeling tv shows and books and like based on books and comics and stuff so i think this would be amazing but i also want like a supernatural buffy stranger things thing no hbo has been getting in on this too i mean on netflix there's of course stranger things there's also The Dark, which I think is German, but it's beca- been really popular lately with a lot of my American friends. HBO has The Outsider, 
which is an adaptation of a Stephen King novel. They've got uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, which mm-hmm. just started in August. Uh, so this is definitely a series that can kind of come all, along with all of that. October Faction was also something that was a comic that was adapted. So there is definitely a spot in which this could exist and with that hard world building i also don't want that i think that part of the horror in this is not fully understanding what is going on and i think some of what can happen in sci-fi films that they try to explain too much and it's a little Mm -hmm. overwhelming and takes away from the narrative so if they're just kind of like we're gonna gloss this over we're gonna you know, explain things as needed, but not in that kind of, oh, this is stronger than that one because of hand-waving anime bullshit. Um, <laughs> just, like, <laughs> kind of do, like, doing that very precarious balance of allowing us to feel that this is real and also very fantastical, which is what I liked about Stranger Things. It's what I liked about Dark. October Faction, I think, did a really good balance as well. Yeah, there's definitely, I think, a place for this. Yeah, I really like this a lot. I I don't know why I saw it. I just, something about, I think it was at volume number two or three was out already. And I just walked by it on the shelf. And something about the title, the way that they have the titles written, like that faintly ominous typography. And just the... Just the covers are really good in these, you know? It was volume number two. It has a picture of Erica Slaughterhouse's face on it. And I saw it and I was like, I want to know what she's about, you know? And then I went and picked up volume one and put it on my profile. And that's all it took. You know, it's just this really compelling, I don't know, something something about it grabs you. It grabs your attention. We, We should specify that you were talking about issue and not volume one two and three uh, because only volume Uh, one at the time of recording is out (laughs) i'm a bad comics reader it's really rare for me to deal in issues it's a hard thing to me for me to specify issues because i'm always buying volumes so bad just right no definitely it's it's okay you're forgiven um yeah when this came out at first i avoided it because i think it had a lot of reprints or it came out at the same time as once in future king but those came out and they were very very hyped and i just kind of avoided it because um i was working in the comic shop at the time and now i i don't work with customers directly but at the time i was and i was getting really really burnt out on speculators so when somebody comes up to me and they're like, this is a hot title and it's a speculator book, I am just automatically turned against it because it's usually going to be like a flash in the pan, short-lived obsession. And I was kind of right and also very wrong. Like this is a really good book and it, well, it's a really enjoyable book and it's a really great story or good storytelling. I can't say that it's good because it's horror and like good might give the misleading that it it's any audience could pick it up and enjoy it. I think you have to be open to horror to read this, but it is really great storytelling. It's really good art and 
it however it did i think kind of have more of a flash in the pan it's very hard for us to get issues in but i'm seeing more issues stay on the shelf mm-hmm. it, but we're also ordering very few issues because there aren't a lot of people reading it from the shelf i i don't know how many people have it on their pool at the store um but i i still think it was always a small number of readers that might also be just from the fact that Boom Studios has a small audience. Um, they're not Marvel. They're not DC. And because Boom Studios produces such a variety of work, I think it's a little harder for people to stay engaged with them. I mean, they do anything from, I think they did Rocco's Modern Life. They do Steven Universe they, to hmm. uh, Lumberjanes to, you know, this kind of material so it's very all over the place uh they did coda um when that was out yeah. so it's just a lot of different works and i think some people will gravitate to marvel and dc because it's always superheroes all the time <laughs> whereas <laughs> in image comics it's like at least it's always going to be some t for teen to more adult content whereas boom you're like i don't know do you want a kid mag or a porn mag you know like it's just so all over the place <laughs> that I don't we have think, it all uh, hold open have all, but, uh, people <laughs> engage with it right <laughs> no thanks um, <laughs> that i think it it's a little harder for people to kind of engage with the company because it's so all over the place. But Boom has access to like some hidden gems that Mm -hmm. I don't think Marvel will ever produce. So again, if you're somebody who's a little burnout or tired of the typical Marvel DC stuff, or you want to try something new, go to Boom Studios and check out their catalog. You're going to find the different smaller non-superhero stories through through them. It's definitely, you're going to be able to find something that you enjoy. Like, they're varied enough. You can find something you enjoy. I have forgotten all about Lumberjanes being a Boom Studios. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, mm, it's a little hard uh, to pitch horror comics to people. I didn't realize how hard it is for some people to watch horror. Like, I just always, I don't know, I I had that internalized misogyny thing where it was like, oh, yeah, of course I like all this shit because, like, I'm a hardcore biatch in high school, you know? Like, it, it was part of that whole, like, the cool girl sort of thing. So I always just was into all mm-hmm. of that, like, heavy metal, like, horror movies, you know, WWE or whatever. Like, I could watch all of it like no problem and you know like eventually I got to really appreciate the art form a little bit as I matured and became an older adult but then I also like have a lot of mom friends now who like used to enjoy it you know in sort of the same way and then kind of turned into this super empathetic machine that's like if it's like real people doing bad things and you know like any kids are involved nah so i I have a whole group of people who i want to read this because i enjoy it it's a good story but who will absolutely not because it's like trigger warning children death you know like and so they're just like absolutely not going to in any universe look at this show so it's kind of interesting like being older and being a lot less like emo hipster cool kid like you realize people really do have a lot of preferences and 
and levels and it's not just because of like it's not just because of like oh you know like it's bringing up my personal trauma it just makes them uncomfortable and that's okay so yeah i think you're right it is a little harder the older i get to say oh this is really good to people because like like it might not be good for them and right let people enjoy the things that they enjoy and not try to don't don't go out of your way to traumatize people because you just want them to be able to talk about the story with you. Like that's not a good thing. That's not a safe, sane behavior. So, <laughs> uh, oh well. But yeah, no. If you enjoy horror, you should definitely check this out. I also have a weird relationship with horror media. Um, I'm one of those people. I can handle crime serials better than I can um, like the Halloween movie there's something about that consistent tension and that development of a villain and something supernatural that i can't do but this one feels a little bit more like the what i enjoy with crime serials and true crime things because there is erica slaughter who has done this before and she can investigate and she understands it so instead of it being some incomprehensible horror there is a character here who's like, I've been exposed to this, I'm aware of it, and I'm going to kick its ass. So then me as the reader could be like, yes, great, <laughs> this is consumable. So um, yeah, that that's my little two cents on it. If you are kind of interested in horror stuff, but if you more from the true crime perspective, it's something a little bit more palatable for that. But if you do not appreciate, again children death mutilation and monsters i don't pick it up yeah i will say that there is a little bit of a difference to me between you know violence being acted upon children and the lens is told solely through a mature adult perspective and violence being acted upon children where children are sort of the active agents in the story to overcome the evil or the monster or something so I think that also makes it a little bit more palatable if you're like, okay with some, but not okay with all, you know, or I think that I think that's a little bit different. I think that's another thing that makes it a more approachable series, I should say. You know, it's not like there's a serial killer and everybody's an adult except for the victims of the murders. You know, that is not where this is coming from. This is like a child's adventure story, but it's sort of kind of towing the line between, you know, like an active action in a you know suspense horror so yeah that's a really good point it it's very much like that stranger things thing where a lot of people are being Mm -hmm. impacted but the children are your lens as well as the heroes um and so that's kind of what's going on in this one too so that's yeah that's a really good point so yeah um i give it a 10 out of 10 with the caveat of it's a horror that does have like some trigger warnings attached to it what do you think Erin? i'm gonna give it a i will read it again because i really enjoyed it and when volume two finally comes out i'm gonna pick it up and keep reading it because it's um it's just good old storytelling and suspense heck yeah so um heck yeah thanks for joining us today yeah thank you guys bye, bye. do you want to do the introduction today i'm tired <laughs>